Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back to Conservation Voices for the Primate Guest. I'm Cecile Sarabian, and on today's podcast, we will discuss about a very sensitive issue here in Japan, ivory. Japan needs, uses ivory for everyday use. Uh, the biggest con con way of con using ivory is as hanko. Hanko is a personal seal in Japan that everybody needs in order to open a bank account or to close deals, to sign contracts. So everybody needs a Hanko personal seal. Now, when you go to a Hanko shop, you can choose um, to have it made between anything from plastic to marble to ivory to, you know, buffalo or anything. But to most Japanese, Ivory is just another material. They don't understand that there is life behind um, ivory, the ivory material itself. Uh, but unfortunately, 80% of, um, nearly 80% of the ivory consumed is in Japan is as hanko, and a majority of it is consumed unconsciously. This is Airi Yamawaki, a Japanese activist who grew up in South Africa and who is now the director and co-founder of Tears of the African Elephant a non-profit organization based in Japan and Kenya. We actually started as an NGO in 2012, but we decided as in 2011 when the number of poached elephants shot up to more than 38,000. Um, and that was when we realized that this problem of elephants being poached was a lot worse than we expected. Um, poaching has always been there, but the numbers really, really shot up so high that we decided, no, you know, as Japanese, coming from a con an island, Every consuming country, um, myself and my partner, who is based in Kenya, we decided no, if we were not going to do anything about it, no one was going to. So that's how we started. This interview was recorded on September 24 in Tokyo at the Global March for Elephants and Rhinos, an event that took place in more than 130 cities around the world. Surprised actually to see such event organized in Japan. My colleague Nachiketh Sharma and I jumped in a Shinkansen for Tokyo to see and share how this global march would turn out. It's actually our third year that we organized the global march for elephants and rhinos Tokyo. Um, the first year, you know, when we first started, no, we realized that no one was doing this. Um, I think it was the second year for the global march itself. And we decided that, no, we must do it. I mean, we're an ivory consuming country and the public needs to know. And also we wanted an, to create an opportunity where we get a lot of people saying, what can we do to help? So we needed to kind of create an action opportunity as well. Um, a lot of the people that uh, participate in the Global March uh, for Tokyo are people who follow our Facebook page, um, who follow our, the information um, that we give out. We are very active on the media, um, on SNS, especially Facebook. Um, we are also very active on radio and television as well. We try to um, be part of documentaries to be broadcast on public broadcasts like NHK. And that's how people get to know about this information because there's very, very little information in Japanese. Um, I think that's the biggest problems in the consuming countries is that a lot of the information and a lot of the conservation projects are in English or in the Western um, languages um, and uh, very little is there in the actual Asian languages and we are the consuming countries. Why should the consuming countries care and why this global march for elephants and rhinos was then organized? Actually, September 24th was not a date chosen randomly. Remember, 
One month ago and one day before the start of the largest conservation congress in the world took place in Hawaii, the IUCN World Conservation Congress. A report of the Great Elephant Census, published in the journal PHA by Michael Chase and colleagues, revealed massive decline in African savanna elephants. 30% loss in seven years. The cause? Poaching and habitat loss. As this report sparked vivid reactions among the international community, the parties at the IUCN World Conservation Congress approved the closure of all domestic markets for elephant ivory. The motion was called 007. Coincidence or not, as this motion was the most contentious at the Congress. Discussions went for over two days, as delegates from Japan, South Africa and Namibia were still opposed to a global ban. Then two weeks after the end of the IUCN World Conservation Congress in Hawaii started another very important meeting in Johannesburg, South Africa. The COP17, or the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, CITES. This is where motions that have been proposed at the IUCN World Conservation Congress can be sealed. Regarding motion 007, it passed by consensus. This is the first time in history that the 183 countries that have signed the convention took a unified position on the ivory question. However, because this consensus was a compromise, it comes with a downside, being that the text encourages countries to close their markets if those are contributing to poaching and illegal trade. But some countries like Japan consider the resolution irrelevant to them, as they mentioned, there is no poached ivory in their market. Um, the government believes that um, ivory still has its place. Um, it's been used for over a hundred years, and um, you know Japan believes that they can help Africa by trading ivory. That the Japanese money um, can help poverty and conservation in Africa. However, you know, they keep saying that and pe because Japan is so far away, people in Japan, the public will accept that. Say, oh, okay, the, the African people are suffering from poverty and because of poverty there's poaching. So if Japanese money can help African countries to sort out their poverty issues and to sort out their conservation issues, then it's a win-win situation, so why not? Whereas they don't understand that Africa has 54 countries and every country is different. And a lot of the African elephants, you know, they, they are distributed across the, the borders. Um, and every country is governed in a different way. And there's also corruption. And, you know, big criminal syndicates are behind the the poaching and illegal trade and people don't understand that the the demand itself is creating you know that is driving that poaching is also without them knowing they're indirectly assisting criminal organizations you know so they don't know that link they're not giving that information because the Japanese government they don't they they kind of keep a closed eye towards the whatever that's inconvenient to them you know um, they don't accept that the rest of the world has come to a point where okay maybe it's time to say let's stop using ivory as material for now and see you know and let the elephant population revive so i think it's a it's it's very very difficult for us um especially with the government you know we, we're going against the government policy um to try and win the public you know it's a lot of effort um. indeed winning the public in such a context may be quite tough 
But letting consumers know what they are buying and supporting is one way to slow down the demand. As such, I asked Mrs. Yamawaki what the degree of knowledge or consciousness that people living in Japan have when they consume hanko made out of ivory. You do know that it's made of, of ivory because you're given the choice. When you go to the hanko shop and the craftsman will, if you don't know what material you specifically want and you ask them, what do you recommend? And they will recommend your ivory because it carries good fortune and it absorbs the ink very well compared to the others and um, it lasts long. So, you know, traditionally ivory has been favored as, as a good material. Um, so if you're offered it, people will just, you know, without thinking um, and unconsciously choose ivory but we don't go out you know like say for example if I needed a new hanko I'm not gonna go consciously out there and say hey I'm gonna buy a hung ivory hanko most people are not aware until you actually the time comes when you actually need to go and buy a hanko and you know somebody offers it to you and they tell you that it's good but they don't give you that information behind they don't explain to you that behind every ivory material is a dead elephant um, and that elephants are being you know pushed into extinction because of the the demand for ivory you know, so i think that's the biggest problem that um people don't people use it without knowingly yeah And that's exactly what Tears of the African Elephant is working on. Consumer awareness and education towards issues related to elephant conservation and ivory trade. However, from what has been shown at the IUCN meeting, as well as at the CITES meeting, Japan doesn't seem to be ready to close its ivory market. Some officials recognize that there might be failure in the system and that some illegal ivory might enter the market. And as such, they are ready to strengthen the policy to make sure that no illegal ivory is entering the Japanese market. But as Japan still have online sales, for which the origin is much harder to track, it looks unlikely that law enforcement in this case would work. As such, I asked Mrs. Yamawaki what would happen if the Japanese ivory market stays open. What will happen is that um, because the Japanese legal registration system for ivory is infested with loopholes, which was actually, it, it came to clearance, um, you know, it was clarified last year by um, investigation conducted by the Environmental Investigation Agency. Um, they reported that the Japanese registration system is infested with loopholes and that 80% of the ivory traders know how to abuse that. So what's happening is that You know, in Japan, you cannot, the consumers cannot tell the difference between illegal and legal ivory. Now, what will happen is if the rest of Asia, including China, which is the biggest, biggest illegal market in the world, if they decide to shut down their domestic trade, Japan will be a potential place for more illegal ivory to thrive. So, you know, with this current situation, with no control um, over illegal ivory, and there's no way of controlling illegal ivory in Japan at the moment. Um, more and more illegal ivory will flow this way. Closing their domestic ivory market is actually what China, along with the United States, France and others, have decided to do. One way supporters of the ban were hoping to decrease the risk for ivory trafficking was by uplisting all African elephant species to the CITES Appendix 1, which would give them the strongest protection possible. However, this is not what uh, more than two-thirds of the parties decided at the CITES meeting on October 3rd. 
And as such, elephant populations that have been stable or increasing over the past two decades, such as populations from Namibia, South Africa, Botswana, and Zimbabwe, would remain listed as Appendix 2. But perhaps NGOs such as Tears of the African Elephants, or campaigns against, for example, Yahoo Japan for selling illegal ivory, can make enough pressure to the Japanese government to make things moving toward a zero tolerance for ivory trafficking. Well, we really just hope that, you know, the awareness in Japan will continue to um, increase because I think that's the only way to change the situation in Japan. Um, it's a very, very bureaucratic country. Um, so to change policy will take a lot of effort and time. Um, I think one thing I'd like to say is that it's not suitable. Japan has to come up with its own way of you know, ending its domestic trade. And that is not by shutting it down overnight. I think it, it's easy to say shut it down overnight, but it's very difficult for a consuming country to do that re in, in reality. So we need to, the consumer, the, the ivory traders and us conservationists, we need to come together and to come up with ways that we could move forward um, to perhaps utilize the, the ivory that's in Japan already and try and classify them into real legal ivory and maybe use those to phase out the ivory market um, over a period instead of um, you know shutting it down overnight I mean it'll be great personally it'll be great it'll, if it was shut down overnight but it's just not realistic so I think as a consuming country you have to come up with your own way but in the in the end to shut down the, the trade yeah. so I think that is something that's um, It's easy for the Western world to say, you know, ban ivory, um, but it doesn't work. Um, people kind of tend to not listen to you um, if you say that. So we try to, um, we don't do anti-ivory campaigns. Rather, we try to say that we try to promote, let's learn about what's going on, make your own decision, make the right decisions. Um, so I think that's a little bit different to how, to how um, anti-ivory is done overseas, yeah. Indeed, banning such market would mean to be able to face socio-economic issues, as the ivory market, such as other contentious markets here in Japan, employ legally thousands of people. Fortunately, Tears of the African Elephant seems to have won the support of the First Lady of Japan after Mrs. Abe visited the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, an elephant orphanage based in Nairobi, Kenya. At the end of August this year, by getting Mrs. Abe more involved into the cause, Tears of the African Elephant hoped that Japan can move forward in the direction of no ivory, no poaching, and for elephant conservation. Back to Japan and Airi Yamawaki now for the last clip of this podcast. If you are interested in following Tears of the African Elephant, check out their Facebook page and get the most updated news regarding ivory and elephant conservation in Japan. Yes, it was today. raining cats and dogs, so we kind of had to um, cancel the actual walk um, because we have a very wide uh, group of people that want to come and be part of the action. We have families with little kids, we have the elderly, and we couldn't really force them out in the rain to walk. Right. 
so but we instead of walking we use the time to kind of you know talk to these people about the, the current issue on elephants and rhinos um, because most people do not have the opportunity to get that first-hand information um, we it was also nice that every organization who were part who was part of uh, the global march of Tokyo um, had the opportunity to introduce their projects as well um, and also that the the people who participated the public that participated had the opportunity to ask questions um, to and to get to know us as well so I think it, it turned out to be okay in the end yeah you have been listening to the primate cast a podcast series dedicated to the study and conservation of primates around the world brought to you by the Centre for International Collaboration and Advanced Studies in Primatology of the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University. Visit us online at www.cicasp.pri.kyoto-u.ac.jp forward slash news forward slash podcasts and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash the primatecast and on Twitter at the primatecast.